Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning, Creekwood. Scripture this morning is taken from Deuteronomy 17, 14, and 17 and Luke 4, 16 through 21. When you have come unto the land that the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are all around me. And he must not acquire many wives for himself or else his heart will turn away. Also silver and gold he must not acquire in great quantities for himself. And from Luke, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord for the people of God. So a father takes his son to a movie theater. Let's call them Dusty and Max. And uh, Dusty goes to the ticket counter and buys the tickets. And then Max says, we got to have, we got to have concessions. And so they go to the concession stand and Max what would you get if you went to a movie theater concession stand? Popcorn, is that it? Dad's covering the bill, you get everything, right? What? Candy, what kind of candy? Okay, we've got popcorn and gummies. And so Dusty and Max make their way into the movie theater to see Max's favorite movie. The Grinch! Christmas theme, I like it. They go to see the Grinch and they're settled in and Max is so excited about his popcorn and his gummies that he eats them really fast and you know what happens? Max starts choking. And so Dusty's a very calm parent and he says, Max, take a deep breath. You're gonna be okay. Just, just breathe, son. And then there's a woman who comes racing across the movie theater and she looks at Max and she says, in the name of Jesus, breathe. And Max is fine. There's a mom and a daughter, let's call them Helen and Monroe, who go to the grocery store. This might actually be a little bit more hardy than Monroe, but we'll go with it. And Helen is getting Monroe out of the car at the grocery store and says, now Monroe, we are not getting chocolate chip cookies. 
do not even think about asking me. I am not having it today. And Monroe's like, yeah, all right. So they go aisle by aisle getting what they need. What are we getting at the grocery store, Monroe? Not yet. <laughs> what? Okay, something other. Your mom already said we can't get cookies, so what else are we getting? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we go and get some cereal, and then we get some fruit, then we get some vegetables, for heaven's sake. And then, you know what happens is Helen turns that cart, and she is looking at the aisle, and what does Monroe see but chocolate chip cookies? So she asks her mom, Mom, can we please get some chocolate chip cookies? And Helen says, No, I already told you. We are not getting chocolate chip cookies today. I told you in the parking lot. Your brother's driving me crazy. Absolutely not. My parents are coming over for dinner. No. So Monroe... She's a smart gal, but she feels the anxiety as they near the checkout counter, and um, she can feel it. Her chance of having chocolate chip cookies is going away, and she's going to miss it. And so she says, Mom, in the name of Jesus, can we please have some chocolate chip cookies? And they walked out with 15 boxes that other people bought for Monroe. When I was a teenager, the movie, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, was having its major heyday. Now listen, it is not the most pastoral movie to endorse, but it is absolutely hysterical, but also PG-13. So at the dinner table one evening, this race car driver, whose name is Ricky Bobby, is um, blessing the family meal, right? They all sit down to pray, and he says, Dear Lord, baby Jesus, Thank you for the bountiful meal from Domino's, KFC, and Taco Bell. And the family has major objections because he's praying to, like, tiny baby Jesus. And they think that that's a little strange because they say, well, Jesus is a man. He has a beard. And Ricky Bobby says that he's right to ask this blessing because um, Christmas baby Jesus is his favorite. And so his son's Walker and Texas Ranger say that they picture Jesus as a ninja fighting evil. And a, another dinner guest says that, well, they picture Jesus in one of those tuxedo t-shirts because he likes to party, right? But Ricky Bobby says that he pictures Jesus as an eight-pound, eight-ounce baby in a manger because he liked the Christmas baby Jesus the best. you have a favorite version of Jesus? Is the teeny, tiny, eight-pound, six-ounce baby in the manger with kings bowing down, singing Silent Night, your favorite version of Jesus? But do we limit him by only seeing him that way? And we're not the only ones. So in the Luke 4 passage that Mike read for us today is a great example of this. So back in Luke 2, which is where the majority of the Christmas... Carter, do you have a question? Okay. <laughs> Are you just really excited? Carter is feeling the Holy Spirit in the back there. All right. Back in Luke 2, I'm sorry, I went into teacher mode. Um, back in Luke 2, all the Christmas stuff happens, and it's talking about the wise men and the shepherds and all the things, right? And then it says this one sentence, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus is not just a teeny tiny baby. 
And so this story in Luke 4 is really interesting because it's one of the first moments of Jesus' public ministry. He gets baptized. He goes into the wilderness by himself. And so this is kind of the first out-in-public situation that he is dealing with. So he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and it sounds like the way that it's written, he's done this before. This is not the first time. And it says that he is handed the scroll of Isaiah when he stands up to read. So he reads out loud to the people, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. So in the synagogue, um, the scripture was read standing and the lesson was given um, with the rabbi sitting down. So it says he sits down. And instead of going into a long lecture or really annoyingly long sermon nobody wants to listen to, he says one sentence. Today, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what we don't ever, like, read past is the people's reaction to this situation. It does not go well. They're having a moment when they are hearing this. Because here's this guy, Jesus, right? And this is his hometown. And so they've been in, you know, shop class with Jesus and celebrated all of the different religious festivals with Jesus. They've sat in front of Jesus when he was a kid and probably loud in church. And he gets up and says that he's the Messiah. And they have a problem with that. They don't believe him. And so the the rest of this passage is really interesting because Jesus kind of goes back and forth challenging their beliefs, telling stories about other times that church people didn't believe God, which does not make them any happier with his proclamation of the day. And so they do what any good church people do when they're upset with what somebody has taught them is they take him outside and try to throw him off a cliff. I'm not kidding. Uh, If you go to Israel, you're going to go to that cliff. It's going to be awesome. Um, I think that these people preferred tiny six-pound, eight-ounce Christmas baby Jesus better too. So when we read this passage from Luke, we focus on that Jesus says he is the Messiah, that it's this fulfillment of the prophetic works of the Old Testament. And we, we laugh at the, the church people that don't believe him. It's really easy to do that. And I think that we are even comfortable with this version of Jesus in the story where he's saying he's the Messiah. And we already know that because we know the end of the story. But in the synagogue, Jesus is not just saying something about himself. In fact, he's giving us, you and me, instructions. We are supposed to preach the good news to the poor. And this is not just to ourselves when we think we are poor because we have something, we don't have something that we want. But the good news is people who are one paycheck away from homelessness. It's for people who do not have the financial means to live the same kind of life that you and I live. It's for parents who are making incredible sacrifices this month just to buy their children a Christmas gift. It's for people who are sitting this morning with their bellies aching because they don't have enough food to get through the weekend. We are supposed to proclaim release to the captives. 
This is freedom for everyone. This is for those who are tied down by addictions, for those that are suffocating in unhealthy and abusive relationships, for those who feel that they don't have any other choice in their life but to commit crimes, for those who are bound by the labels that society puts on them that puts them in one box or the other or belonging or not belonging. We are supposed to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. And this is not necessarily in the physical sense, although Jesus did go and heal people who were blind. But this is the part where we show people what the amazing grace that we sing about is. This is when we show and we tell that the forgiveness of God is forgiveness that is beyond human comprehension. It is beyond what the world deems as too far from forgiveness. When we do that, the blind see. We are supposed to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now this is not going to be as much fun. The year of the Lord's favor is not simply um, Jesus saying like, I'm here, and it's the year of the Lord's favor. Yay! Um, it's an Old Testament. Uh, it's an Old Testament law. Um, it comes. It comes from the law, and so this is every every 50 years. There was what was called the year of the jubilee, and that is not like the one the Queen had a few years ago, but it was a year full of releasing people from their debt, releasing all slaves, returning property to those who had owned it. It was a year of rest. There was no um, reaping. There was no harvest. There was a time where people returned to their families and their loved ones for an entire year. So back in Luke 4, we are supposed to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the love and the grace and the forgiveness that was found in the year of Jubilee. It is the kind of forgiveness that is totally not fair. But it's what God mandated from the very beginning. Are you missing the Christmas baby Jesus yet? Kings in the Old Testament get a really bad rap. Everyone says that they're like terrible. Scholars and theologians have spent many pages and in ink detesting the choices of the kings and proclaiming that kings all along were a terrible idea. Now, kings made bad choices. Do not get me wrong. But if you look at this passage that we read from Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 7, it is instructions that God is giving for kings that don't exist yet. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is a really long speech that Moses gives at the Jordan River right as the people are about to enter into the promised land. It is instructions for living permanently. It is instructions for how to build a house, not a tent. It's instructions for a home, not a road trip. And there is an entire section here on kings. And Israel didn't have kings yet. So if God's giving instructions for kings, they can't all be that bad. In Deuteronomy 17, the law focuses on the limitations that need to be on the royal authority according to God. A king 
like most of us, cannot have too many horses, too many wives, or too much silver and gold. So put simply, the king must live simply. But the law didn't just tell the king what he couldn't do. But Deuteronomy 17 says what the king um, needs to be spending his days doing. And so he is supposed to have his own copy of the law. His own copy of the law. Not one that belonged to the palace, not one that belonged to the temple. His own copy that he could carry around with him. And if he went traveling, the law went with him. And he was supposed to read it every single day. The law was supposed to teach the king how to be humble before God. In Deuteronomy 17, it says, so that the king will learn to fear God. And not like in a scary way, but in a reverent way. That a king may be a king, but God is God. It was supposed to teach the king that serving their people was the most important thing. Kings were supposed to be this example of the law and maybe even a role model of what it meant to have um, fidelity to God. The six pound, eight ounce, teeny tiny Christmas baby Jesus was the perfect king. Twelve-year-old Jesus in Luke 2, who is sassing his parents for being left behind, is the perfect king. Adult Jesus who's giving us instructions we're really challenged by, is also the perfect king. Jesus lived simply. He knows the law. And he provides us an example of living it out. But Jesus does not leave the living out of the law to himself as something that only only Jesus gets to do that. Because you will find in the Gospels that Jesus is more concerned about us understanding that we need to live the law out just as much as kings in the Old Testament were supposed to. He challenges us to live the same way that he does. We are like the kings of the Old Testament. We are called to be examples of God's love in the world. When we read our copy that we get to have with us every day and take home that is ours, we learn that we are human, but God is God. And we get to live like God. We are expected to show God's love in the world. This whole thing gives instructions for proclaiming good news to the poor, Releasing the captive, recovering the sight of the blind, letting the oppressed go free, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Today's focus in Advent is on joy, and we had to go through a bit to get here. But we switched to this pink candle because it, it stands out amongst this, um, this, this purple and this green that you see on the, the vestments and the other candles that are up here. Because it is the day in the Advent cycle in which the waiting and the expectation is suspended for a minute. Because we rejoice for what is already in front of us. So much of Advent is talking about what is coming. Jesus' second coming. 
what we are expecting, what the people were expecting in that blank page between your Old and New Testaments while they were waiting for the Messiah to come for the first time. But we stop in the middle to say, look, look around. What we have, what we are expecting is already here in some ways. It's a day that we set aside the teeny tiny baby Jesus. And we remember all of the good things that grown-up Jesus brought us to. And not just the version of Jesus that's stuck in these pages, but also the work that the Holy Spirit has done in your life before the moment that you were even thought to be born. We get to experience joy when we look around and we see what we have. This thing that we're waiting for in these, in these purple weeks, we get glimpses of. If you've been reading our Advent devotionals, you will see we have kids and senior adults and parents who are writing about the glimpses of the kingdom of God that they are getting in their daily life. That's the pink candle. We get to do some of that now. And this is, this is not the kind of joy that's like happiness, that's like dependent on everything going well for you and you always feeling good and people always being nice to you. But this is joy in being content with what is around us, with what we have, with what we don't have, with who we are. There is joy in being grateful for the right now that we get knowing that the eventual is going to be so much better, thank goodness. But we're not just sitting and waiting. It's already here. So this week, I invite you to take some joy in grown-up Jesus. You can bring back teeny tiny baby Jesus the rest of Advent. But remember that grown-up Jesus has some expectations for you. Grown-up Jesus gives you all that you need. Grown-up Jesus comes alongside you in your journey. Grown-up Jesus helps you understand grace, understand forgiveness, and showing love to everyone. So this Advent, let's remember that, yes, teeny tiny six-pound, eight-ounce, everybody's favorite baby Jesus was a miracle. But grown-up Jesus has expectations for us and things that we are supposed to do in the name of Jesus. And our call is to live into those as best that we can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every version of Jesus we see in scripture. We thank you for the focus in Advent on Christ's birth, the miracle that was his conception, the awe his mother felt when she knew she was pregnant. But God, help us to not get stuck in limiting you to a tiny six-pound, eight-ounce baby, but instead to understand the expectations you have for us. Help us to have joy. Help us to see the glimpses of your kingdom that we know are appearing right in front of us. 
Help us to not miss out on the right now because we're waiting for the not yet. It's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.